Welcome along to LY Weekly Season 3 Episode 8 with myself Johnny Ward and Dan McDonald in association with Airsport and Independent.ie and we're on Podcast Republic and Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. We're on iTunes and we're at LOI Weekly on Twitter and we have a very uh, different show today with Tom Moan and Jim Crawford coming in, both so pivotal in terms of the underage so- setup in Ireland and of course who had very interesting League of Ireland careers as well. So it's going to be a bit of a mix and match, looking to the future in terms of the youths with Moan and Crawford, but also reflecting on very colourful careers. But speaking of colourful, uh, Dan, I just have to start by mentioning Pat McAuliffe. Um, this was a shocking, shocking news. 61 years of age, taken way too soon. I didn't know Pat as well as you did. I only met him on one of the Dundalk um, away trips in 2016. I think it was Warsaw. Immediately warm to him. Had great crack with him. And every time you meet him afterwards, he'd always say hello to you. And um, it was a shocking start to the week, really, for the football family. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend. I mean, you see, I didn't, you didn't know him as well as I did. I'm not going to pretend that I knew Pat that well either. I think that would be... Uh, I'd be bluffing to say that I did, but just everything that you say and every tribute that you've heard really resonates in some way. Like, you know, Pat, I think, you know, like it's it's a classic thing. You always take people for granted in, in life. You take certain things for granted that there's a certain, particularly like in the League of Ireland world where you go to every ground and you know where people sit almost, you know, if you walk around this corner, that's their spot. You know, that's, that can go to fans. It can go to a steward at the gate. It can go to the guy selling programs. It can, it can, you know, be the kit man. It can be all the various characters. And I think like going to Turner's Cross was, was Pat was just one of those figures. He had his little spot inside the press box in Turner's Cross. I saw Dennis Hurley, um, one of the Cork journalists, you know, posting, I think, a picture of that spot the other day because Cork so poignantly were playing Cove on Monday of all the matches to be played on the day. And I actually, I was aware that Pat had a, a football background um, in terms of, like, he'd been involved in the game, but I probably didn't even, didn't even recognise the extent of that till he passed away, um, just in terms of his playing as a referee, um, and he was a sort of a an essential figure of the, of the Cork football scene in a way that went beyond just being a broadcaster. You know, he was a he was a part of the the football community, really. And um, yeah, I mean, just every time you go down, I mean, it's funny, you know, like you and I, I, I mean this in the nicest way possible that you get down to Cork sometimes in his element. I see they're down from Dublin, you know, and there's always that that whole angle that you know. We don't go to Cork enough, and and all that all that goes with that, and a bit of a slagging back and forth, and all this. But like Pat, every time was just brilliantly friendly and warm, and uh, did his job, got people to speak to him. I mean, um, I mean, Pat was up at the Aviva for the game last last Tuesday at a soccer writers meeting before the game. Um, just being Pat, you know, I remember down and turned his cross before the start of the season or, you know, the President's Cup and outside the dressing room talking to Vinnie Perth for ages and just sort of diligently doing his job and, and just, he was there, he was omnipresent and then someone's not there and he's like, that's, that's, that's shocking, just a lovely man. So really. shocking, yeah. Not, never, oh, like it's such a cliche, never known as a bad word to say about him but it is true. Uh, like you it just is, want it him. Is I'd true, never met him you know? before. I think on that trip, um, I, I, I was one of these spells where like I'm off to booze now. I'm not. Going I remember to that it was Warsaw. And it was Warsaw. Yeah, and I, go, I, I remember going up. You, to you predicted the dog get beaten five 0 the night before, and we the, all thought you were absolutely nuts. I had to go back. I, on we the had booze. an argument over that. Yeah. And then I remember I was up at the bar, and um, I said to Pat, "I'm off to drink." And he goes, "So am I." And then he took a slug out of some drink that he was drinking, <laughs> and he just had this wink in his eye. And I was like, "I can definitely warm to this fellow." Ah, no. um, ah, just an And his drink. last game, I think, was the 19s in Cove. I think so. He was kind of covering uh, ah, yeah, a local proper yeah. youth game. Just a champ, an absolute So we'll talk um, the results now just in terms of the weekend that went. Shamrock Rovers uh, maintaining their gap on the top of the table by beating UCD 3-1 and you're looking at the highlights here and basically Jack Byrne seemed to absolutely run the show. Yeah, run the show or certainly turned it on when it mattered to get the job done and there's a there's a the fact that he's adding goals to the thing now as well. I mean, he's obviously such a talented player, full stop, but adding goals in a way that I suppose you think of maybe 2015, Richie Towell, Dundalk, you know, the amount of goals he scored from midfield that season. Uh, and if he's now getting into those positions, which he's always had the ability to do, but at the same time, you look at, say, when Jack was playing in Canberra and, and even his good spells, like he would score some very good goals, but he wasn't necessarily like a consistent goal scorer, if you get me. Whereas now, um, you know, he's, he's, he's got a couple in the last couple of weeks and would be confident of doing so again. So, yeah, big win for Rovers, another test of character because they they scored late again. I mean, they're winning, 
but they're making hard work of some of these games. You know, I, I mean, it sounds like they're, they're very dominant, but I suppose they're these. You know, they were they were ran a, a fine you know a fine line and harps with Bulger popped up late. So it's brilliant that they're doing it, but it's still just taking them a time in matches. You know, in terms of maybe not killing teams off at times. So. I, there's there's probably room to manoeuvre, room to work on there too. And Aaron Green you know. is just the main one. He's he missed about three really good chances on um on Friday, and then missed a penalty against um Bray. Bray. And he's he's a player who definitely needs to um, get a bit of his confidence back. But the one thing I would say about Rovers, the goal they conceded was very poor, and you you look at that from the opposition. Um, Pico Lopez won't be happy at all. Sam Bone then kind of left him one on one, and it was a poor, poor goal to give away. The first from open play, and um, just will give a bit of a chink of hope to other teams. I think so. Yeah, it shows there. It shows there's you know every team has vulnerabilities. You know, in, in in this league, no team is perfect. Is ever going to be perfect? But um, yeah, I, I think you know we did talk about it last week, and you know UCD are the type of team that would go to Tala and try and play and. And hurt them by attacking rather than hurt them by sitting back. And I mean, they showed it. They showed it can be done. Certainly. What about Oriel? Yeah, Oriel. Um, like, what is the story of Friday night at Oriel? I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, the Dock are still unbeaten for all that. Their start of the season was slow, and I still think they probably are the benchmark. And yes, you you end up coming away from the game in some degree. Like Dundalk Cork is huge, and all the players afterwards, you know, Dundalk players and staff, you know, Vinnie Parrott, this is the one fixture we looked at at the start of the season. I think that was the message from other players as well. Yeah, maybe, maybe because I was distracted across the week by FAI business and all this other stuff that's been going on. It's been hanging over us the last couple of weeks. Um, but it didn't feel as big an occasion as Dundalk Cork would have felt like last year and at full time it was like yeah big win for them dog but there was a maybe and from their perspective it could tell that their joy was undimmed but maybe from a, a broader perspective there was a hollow aspect to it that Dundalk with such a second string team in midfield you know with such a reshaped side were able to beat Cork relatively comfortably it has to be said Cork put on a bit of pressure but really didn't didn't hurt them to any real degree I know you watched the game back I don't know what your thoughts, thoughts were but I mean this is Dundalk with Sean Hoare in midfield with Murray and McGrath who are excellent players um, but it's possible that if you know McElhenney, Benson and Shields are there that those three don't okay Hoare play in defence obviously but you know those three don't wouldn't start and I think Murray and McGrath are, are excellent and there is a talking point about just the strength of the Dundalk squad and how it will help them but they finish with Jarvis, Dummigan um, Hall, like three defenders on the pitch in midfield, effectively out of position, and they still, they still did it. So, I think from Cork's perspective, they look a bit off. And I mean, we've touched on it before. I thought they'd make it a bit harder for them, Doctor, than they did. They didn't really. Yeah, um, talking to Inda from off the ball, and he was kind of lauding John Caulfield afterwards for being very like happy to come and do an interview after the game, and he was very honest in his interview. In fairness, John Caulfield, he he focused on the penalty appeal at the end, which apart from that, I thought he's no, he spoke well after generally. Yeah, yeah. and it, I think he did seem a bit despondent. But this was as bad a Cork performance as I've seen against Sundalk. I mean, you look at Carl Shepherd, their captain. He was so out of sorts. All of their team lacking kind of confidence maybe apart from McNulty they didn't have a chance in the whole game not one no, chance No, Cummins actually worked hard and did reasonably well at times you know but they, the ball to but, no of. yeah exactly they, mm. they, they had no fluidity in terms of like a real pattern of play and they're attacking and yeah they put some pressure late on just by lumping it and don't get me wrong there were times in the game where Dundalk were direct too and you know they, they can do that and they mm. mix it up their two full backs um, were really excellent I thought Massey and Gannon yeah yeah, yeah. no I mean Mas- they, I suppose they're consistently good uh, I just I think McGrath's developing into an even better Brilliant player first, uh. I think you know I think Murray's going to be a big asset but you know as the second half they ended up, they ended up dropping back a bit um, and Cork put on a bit of pressure but it, again it just wasn't really sustained high quality pressure uh, Derry 2 Sligo nil. Uh, probably maybe a little bit flattering in that Sligo seemed to have chances but Derry you know they've uh, they've had a good home record this is a big win for them yeah good finish by Parkhouse for the mm. goal I'm um, looking forward to maybe seeing a bit more of him because there's a lot of talk in pre-season about his ability and um, seemed to be a, a good buzz uh, around the Brandywell again even though I mean 
there, there's a mid table, there's a bang of mid table off Derry maybe this season. But I don't still, know about that. Uh, I like well, I I think it's possible. I think it's uh, possible. We'll say they're up to fourth now. Cork are down to the bottom half now. We're talking about a lot of teams it, it can changes. target fourth realistically. It changes. I just think that Derry have had a lot of changes to the squad. Okay, what is mid table? Yeah, okay, maybe I, fourth is yeah, one above mid table. Yeah, yeah, okay, mid table slash challenging for that fourth that fourth mm. spot, right? But um, Bosons Pats now was uh, yeah a worrying result for Pats. I I I, I believe. There was, a, there was a moment where both all Bows and Pats fans came together and as one to sing about the FAI, um, which is and that did hang over. I mean, Fair I'm off to of I'm off to the Eructus after this. There, I've got the suit there, getting ready to go off to a you know a, a doll hearing, which isn't necessarily part of the day to day brief for. A, Are you going a, to call a into Harry journalist. Kenny's? Uh, I might, I might see if I can change in there uh, and see what happens. But <laughs> but um, we didn't bring Harry. We brought maybe brought Greg Bulger a bit of good luck, but we didn't bring Harry a bit of good luck in terms of being in here. Um, You're talking fine margins, well, because they had a great chance from Reese McCabe early on. Didn't score that, and then went behind. Yeah, and it, again, like it's another blank. You know, Drennan then gets sent off and. This whole thing of you, you talk about, say, Jack Byrne scoring from midfield, and you talk about, say, Murray and McGrath stepping up for Dundalk and Duffy scoring, and Pats are just seem to have to work hard for everything at the moment. Now, I'm seeing them on Friday. I actually haven't seen them uh, in the flesh since the, the Sligo Rovers game, the second game of the season, where they weren't very good, but they still won. And at that stage, it was like, well, they're learning how to win. You win ugly, this is what you do. Unfortunately, it's been pretty ugly for them since then, and they're not winning. I don't think they've won know? a game since. No, they haven't. Yeah. So, um, and they played on Dock on Friday, and, and they are under a bit of pressure. I mean, I know that, and, and you know, Harry alluded to it last week. The owners backed him and stuff. Um, and it's ludicrous yeah, that he should be under. No, pressure. no, I know. And, yeah, and, and even and though look, he kind of is, in yeah, some yeah, in some ways he is. And yeah, I, I know sometimes, like you know, sometimes podcasts and smaller leagues it can be all very chummy, chummy. And every manager under pressure shouldn't be under pressure, and so on. So we're not just saying that from a perspective of hey, we're you know, look out for a good skin here. Mm. But I do think. Like if you've if if an owner and a team have made an appointment and they've given them money and they've brought a lot of players in, you do have to give them time. But at the same time, I can understand where any frustrations from supporters are coming from because they they would have expected better. Yeah, and at that uh, game on Friday as well. As yeah, well as just you, it takes. I mean, the, the, there's only so long you can have these results before the pressure becomes genuine. I think. Watford have gone ahead of Cork on goal difference because they beat Harps four 0 Yeah, and Harps are. I mean, I think Siobhan Madigan was saying they're in danger of being cut adrift, which sounded a bit extreme. But at the same time, they've really they play, they played two games more than UCD. It's not really that extreme. I think UCD are looking better than them at the moment. Um, now, and, and the problem for Harps, now, they do have the, those games in advance played. But um, they, they do have a scenario where... Um, they, uh, I just we got distracted there as our guest just popped up outside. But Harps do have a scenario where they, their their fixture schedule in April is going to be tough on them. The fact that they played Harps, they played Rovers early will suit them. They'll have a Monday off, and other clubs don't. But generally, you just feel it's going to be very draining for them. Uh, I know it'll be draining on UCD and stuff too. But we've had Collie in here before. Those UCD players have a good setup. They're there together every day. It's a full time environment in all but name. So they're probably better. They might be better placed to withstand this the logjam than Harps. So, to say that they can get cut adrift is not a ridiculous is not a ridiculous point of view, to be honest. Um, fin- yeah. F- finally, before we go to the lads, um, they, did, they did beat Sligo in the EA Sports Cup on Monday. Yeah. Might take something from that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean you're into the last eight now, and Watford are as well. They beat Galway two one. I was at that game, and um, great to be down at the RFC. Hadn't, RFC. I actually couldn't remember the last time I was in the RFC, but that new stand certainly wasn't there. Bows two, Cavantili one. Uh, Bray nil, Shamrock Rovers nil. Rovers knocked out on penalties there. Cork four, Cove one. Uh, Pat McAuliffe would have definitely enjoyed that, um, being among his, um, I suppose, Cork brethren at the cross. Pats one, Dundalk two. Uh, Finn Harps beats Sligo two one. Derry three, Longford nil. And last night as well, Shelburne one, UCD two. And we're joined now by uh, Jim Crawford and Tom Moan, uh, both wearing their tracksuits, both fresh from their uh, coaching seminar out in the. Is it the Maldron you're staying in? The Clayton. The Clayton, right. Yeah. It's all these uh, similar kind of sounding hotels that are all like these franchises. It's like a transfer market for hotels. Yeah. You know, you go to the airport, it's like, what is it now? <laughs> you know, it's been it's been various incarnations yeah. of over the years. I spoke to Stephen O'Donnell, who was telling me he's all week at this thing, but you're, you're, there are, what'd you say, there are 20 of you out there or so, Tom? Yeah, 20 coaches uh, and three tutors, Jim, myself and Neil Harrison. Yeah, what's happening out there? So what's going to happen this week? Well, there's been presentations. Jim has done a presentation yesterday on his principles of play with the under 18s. Um, I'll do a Q&A tomorrow regarding our under 19s. Uh, Mel Harrison do a presentation on player identification. 
the players are obviously we've been out in the pitch last night, out tonight again and out tomorrow night. So between presentations and out on the pitch there's there's a lot happening. And then the players have or the, the coaches themselves, they'll they'll do presentations to us also. And are they harshly judged on that then or are they kind of will you have an idea of how good they are by what they're able to present to you? Yeah, well, you're you're constantly gathering, you know, information from them, and it's a, it's a test of their football knowledge too. And we, we we'll put them on the spot at different stages. We'll throw different scenarios to them and see how they can handle it. Like you know, for example, last night they were planning and preparing for a a session with twenty two players. They actually went to the Bowes Cabin Healy match on Monday night, done a match analysis. So they had to do present their match analysis yesterday, and then deliver a training session from it, or a, basically present their training session. So that we were giving them 22 players, 11 v 11 for training, and then we throw curveball in. Only there's only 20 players available for training, and they'd have to adjust on the spot, you know. Just Happens ask the two of you to play, do they? No, no, no. <laughs> this is actually in the classroom, like you know. Right, right. I would say you've got to adjust now. How do you deal? How do you do your session now with 20 players or maybe 17 players? Yeah. And that's that's reality based. Everything's reality based in our coach education. I suppose you can, you lads can relate to say someone like Stephen O'Donnell. Just he's just an example that you mentioned who's coming out of his playing career into the next stage, and you both had very long careers and you had to transition to all of a sudden being in a classroom environment or suddenly doing things that you wouldn't have thought about maybe during your playing career. And can you remember what that process was like for yourselves? Maybe, maybe Tom, when you came out of it and suddenly went from the player to suddenly thinking in maybe the coach's mind. Yeah, well, I was probably very fortunate that I met Sean McCaffrey when I was 15 years mm. of age, you know, and uh, Sean was a college of knowledge uh, in football and he got me into coaching fairly young and uh, when I was with Derry City I'd, I'd done uh, an introductory badge and then when I went to Finn Harps I'd done me, it was the level one at the time and then it progressed onto me onto me B licence and I think you've got to be very open minded in coach education because as a player and as a, you know, maybe just finished playing, we think we know it all, like you know, but there's so much to learn, and the game keeps changing and it keeps evolving, and you have different systems, you have different styles, and um, I think that's that's the key to coaching, like you know, you've you've got to be very very open minded mm. uh, as to you know wanting to learn and wanting to keep improving. Jim, what was your experience then of going from playing into this phase of your career? Because you just for people who maybe listen, you were on Ireland under an age, 18 manager until recently and now you're yeah. working with Stephen Kenny and the under 21 staff so but before that how did you get to the under 18 position as such how did you get to the yeah well, from, well, from playing to coaching what yeah. was your well when I finished playing I was lucky enough to land an FEI development officer's job and from that I was I applied to get into the emerging talent program in the Bunclody area so I got that, and that's where I started my uh, my learning with regards to coaching. And you know, like a lot of players, you know, they they find the transition is going to be seamless, and it's not because it's well and good having all the knowledge in your head. It's it's transferring that to the players is that's the magic of coaching, and it takes a hell of a lot of time. And and sometimes I hear, you know, a lot of people saying, "Oh, coaching is easy," and and it's not, you know, because for me, it is. You know, transferring that knowledge, uh, key factors, the, the the attention, the detail of your information has got to be spot on for the younger players. Yeah, and the, how did you find the 18s? You know, and obviously Andy Reid has stepped up into that role now as well. The 18s was a great challenge, and it was a challenge in many ways because it's um, a non-competitive age group. So you know, you've got the 17s with with Collie O'Brien that. He would, you know, he's got first choice on the younger players that you might um, be looking to bring into the under 18s. And then obviously you got Tom on the other side with the under 19s. That, that's competitive. So any players that are good enough to step up, Tom will take them. So it's a challenge that you're working with the players that, are, um, uh, that you're left with. Uh, and for me, it was great because, you know, you're working with a group of players that you're giving them information against top nations. And, you know, I used to get emails um, from countries such as Belgium, England, Holland, you know, could you play us in this particular tournament? And they're the games where you want to see those players, can they produce um, some type of form that catches Tom's eye, that Tom can uh, promote from the 18s into the 19s. And I think um, a sure sign of that was the, uh, the elite phases that, 
that's just gone. Mm. Tom used about eight players that can still play with the under 18s, and they they went there and they were. They, by all accounts from Tom, they 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 were exceptional. You can't, yeah, so you can't. I suppose, yeah. and you can't uh, predict when somebody's going to bloom as well, you know. And you, you're giving them a, these guys a chance to prove themselves. Yeah, without a doubt, and that's what the 18s is for. It's you know one of our set objectives at this, you know, with the with the under 18s is to play against Grade A opposition, and if they can step up to the play, you know, they can move on, and we accept that. And that's you know, for me, I, I think it's brilliant when players get. Um, uh, promoted to the 19s but it also sets other challenges now where we've got to go and unearth other players whether it's here in the National League or over in the UK to bring into the 18s Tom can I, I mean can I just ask you how satisfying the the under 19 achievement was in Russia there um during the international break to to qualify as emphatically as you did for the Euros in the summer, and maybe, maybe people who just heard the results may not be aware. And Jim touched on it there. There's been a, people moving through the age groups, and even some of the players that would have helped you through the initial phase would have been involved with the 21s this time around. So you had maybe some new faces almost at that level um, going to Russia with you. So as an achievement, that must be that must have been a great week for you. It was brilliant, Daniel. Like you know, it was uh, like so satisfying. Uh, considering over the last couple of years, we've brought it down to the wire in the last game in the late phase, and and we've missed out. And it was just it couldn't have worked out any better. Like you know, because we were qualified after the round two of games. Obviously, we'd won, we'd won our first two, and then we went to see Romania and Russia. And you're hoping Romania will get a result against Russia. And mm. after seven minutes of injury time, the referee finally blows the you know the full time. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah. we're there, and there's the full stand of Russian supporters, and we can't even celebrate. You know, <laughs> so there's Colin Haley and uh, Mick Neville, Dermot O'Neill, myself, and uh, Mickey Feeney and Darren McGarry, video analysts. Like you know, but once we get into the bus, I'll tell you the summer roar. <laughs> yeah, but just yeah. getting back to, to Jim's point too, like you know, regarding the under 18s we would see the under 18s as an extended group of the under 19s like you know and uh, the the under 18s had fantastic results and performances out in spain uh, last november they, they beat belgium beat holland drew with england and that those were games that i attended like you know and that gave me a great insight into the players and also their characteristics their temperament as well as their ability and I have to say, like, I could look at those games and look back and say, yeah, well, he's good enough to come with us. And, and that's a, a key thing in our underage structure at the moment. And like uh, Rude Doctor, you know, has brought us in that we've got to go and try and play against the best and any any opportunity we get. And sometimes we get exposed, like, you know, but I, f- I firmly believe it's bringing our players on. Like, you know, you look at our under-15s, they a, a really good season this season and won again yesterday. Mm. Our under-16s... Have dominated the victory shield this last couple of years uh, with with Paul Ozam, Colin two years in a row on the seventies got to, got the finals and, and topped their 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 groups right through like you know and a number of those seventies are coming through to me like and you know as I said Jim's results with the eighteens is so important that link with eighteens and nineteens because if if a player's good enough. Like age doesn't really come into it. Like you know, mm. if, if are you gaining enough, some? Are you gaining some kind of plaudits across Europe as well for being able to play a bit of football, which isn't people don't think of Ireland as that, whether we like it or not. Yeah, you know, there's there's no doubt about it. Like you know, when when a lot of these top nations invite you to go and play, you know, against them in tournaments and friendly competitions or whatever, uh, that's that's a sure sign. And uh, like, it's 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 working really well. And like, there's a lot of work going on in Irish mm. football. Like. You, like you see the League of Ireland clubs at the moment, they're, they're doing massive work and uh, y- you can see the players getting more intelligent too. Like to play the modern game at the highest level, you've got to be, as well as being technically efficient, you've got to be tactically very astute and you've got to have a good game understanding. There's so many areas to the game. Like, you know, you've got your attack and defence, your th- transitions, your set pieces and the game's getting faster and quicker. Like, you know, and our players are adopting very, very well. Uh, and also I mentioned Niall Harrison earlier, Niall's put years of work in on the Emerging Talent Programme, linking in with schoolboy leagues, linking in with, with, with schoolboy clubs too. And I think it's it's a matter of just dovetailing it all together now, like you know, and there's great opportunities for young players and uh, we're fortunate enough to be at the elite level looking after these young fellas and, and giving them this opportunity. So you lads would have played against each other, right? Quite a few times. Do you have any battles that spring to mind? I've won. Go on. And I have a DVD of it and I must get it to Jim. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim was at Newcastle and I was at Derry City. Oh, was this the tournament? The tournament, that? yeah. It's, I'm not saying how many years ago it was. It was 97, but, 98, wasn't yeah, it? That, yeah, the, that, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, black and white. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, we played um, Celtic in our first game and we ended up 
we, we ended up beating them, like you know, and uh, of course I ended up to the Canio looking for his jersey straight away, you know. Yeah, three <laughs> two or something to the Celtic yeah, game. Was it a high scoring game? And such yeah, it was. It was three two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, the next night, then we played. We played Newcastle, and Jim was playing for Newcastle, and like Ferdinand was playing Philip Albert. They're a really, really good side. But I remember going into the hotel with Gary Beckett uh, after the match, like you know, and we we're just shattered, like, and we've run around for ninety minutes, maybe got about two kicks of the ball, and uh, Beckett says to me, he says, "If that's professional football, he says they can keep it." Then what are we running around? <laughs> I've often yeah. wondered that as a footballer, when you come up against players that just do make you feel like, yeah, I'm just not at that level. It must be kind of like slightly soul destroying. Yeah, come here. Obviously, it was a great occasion for us, you know to go and play against the top sides and you learn so much too. I think you, as well as that, you learn from players you play against. That can be some of your greatest learning, mm-hmm. like, you know, the players you play against, the players you play with, like, and, and only myself, like, I was fortunate to play with, with a lot of good players in the league, like, you know, you did Liam Kyles and, you know, Paul Doolan's fellas I got there and Kevin McHugh's, Johnny Speak and, me, you learn, you learn yeah, when, when you were playing then, you know, with, with, with Harps and with Derry, were you working as well outside of football? Uh, I was a development officer. So you were always working as a development officer in the game, basically. In my last couple of years at Harps, I was working as a development officer. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Would have been doing some coaching as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, like. Prior to that. And Jim, when you were in the league, when you came back from Newcastle, were you always full time? Yeah, I was, I was always full time with, yeah. with Shelbourne. And then, as I said to you earlier on, I um, I was fortunate enough that when um, those things happened at Shelbourne, where we we got demoted. Yeah, I was going to say because that, that that coincided with yeah your transition, I suppose. That's such, it. Isn't it. So so it, it it fell nicely for me that an opportunity came up within the FEI. So I was again playing with Shelbourne and working as a development officer in in South Dublin. We, it's funny the way things have panned out this year that we've ended up having a bit of shells nostalgia. It was it was Ollie Cahill that we had in, wasn't it? And we were talking a bit about the Deportiva run in in oh yeah. in oh four and the general. That that era, Chels, you know, with Wes, and it was an extraordinary time. I mean, what we, what stands out to you when you think about that time of your your career, your time at Chels? I think a few things stand out, and probably the most important was the group of players that we had, and the coaching staff that we had were all um, top notch. You know, the players, whether you're in the team or out of the team, drove each other on. There was no sort of bad feeling if you're out of the team. If you were in the team, you knew you're in there on merit. Um, Pat. Fenlon, who was the manager at the time, instilled a lot of good values with the players and, you know, working hard and and being a team. And that got us through. And, and I think there was a time with Shells where, you know, we hadn't been paid um, for a number of months. And we were still, I think, we were still challenging for the league at that particular time. And, and the players just decided that, right, we're not getting paid, but what we'll do is we'll continue to work together mm. as a team win the league, and we'll see what happens after that. So there are times that stood out for me as a player that there was a real team bond. And I learned going on in my coaching career that team bond is everything, you know, and and it's creating that relationship between coach and players does come before tactics. Mm. And that's what we had then at Shelburne, you know, as well as the quality of players that we had at our disposal. It was that real team uh, bond. A mixture of kind of respect and friendliness with the players, or how do you work that going forward then when you... Is it fear of... In terms of the player-coach relationship? Um, no, no, I think it's an understanding. It's um, uh, the way Pat done it with us is, you know, he gave us that level of respect and um, we knew Pat's knowledge and what Pat was able to bring to the table and we respected that and um, he created this culture of hard work, drive, determination and, you know, um, with the tactical side as well, you mm. know, so it was a, it was a, a good place to be yeah. at that particular time. I guess, I mean, Tom, what I'm getting at to a degree, you mentioned your, your recollections there with Gary Beckett and, and coming up against Newcastle and the the professional footballers yeah. and at the time you were very much like not professional footballers yeah. in that context but you describe your coaching staff in, in Russia there okay I know Colin Healy was uh, would have been overseas for a time in his career yeah. but you just have Mick Neville and Dermot O'Neill and as a group guys who are sort of steeped in the League of Ireland you know your background is League of Ireland but now to be achieving something 
in a European context against, I'm sure if it went through the clubs and the backgrounds of maybe coaches and other people that you're coming up against, like what sort of buzz does it give you now to be competing on a European stage that maybe in a way it would have been harder to do as a player to put your wits against some of these people? Yeah, well, you know, obviously you mentioned, you know, the staff there and their backbone of, of our setup, like, you know, having good staff and, you know, all our staff in general, you know, they create a very good atmosphere around the place, like, and that's, that's a positive for players. And from my point of view, we've got very good young players and they're a joy to work with. They've got great ability and they're very good attitudes. And when you combine that together, it gives you a chance, you know, and uh, that's, that's the thing about the European finals. These lads are, they're so looking forward to it. They're so excited to, to be going to European mm. finals and they believe in themselves. And like there's, there's, a, there's a, a free spirit with them, you know, when they go out in the pitch, especially in the opposition half of the pitch, like they, you know, they, they go and they're not afraid to have a go at teams, like, and they, obviously it's not always playing sailing, like, you know, you've got to be well organised defensively and you don't have the players for an awful long time, eh, like prior to your first game even, like we only had them for three days and their first, your first day was a recovery session because half mm. of them were playing on Saturday, we had a long journey to travel, uh, out to Krasnodar, you know, via Moscow, and uh, the players conducted themselves very, very professionally, and it gives me a great buzz working with the players, mm. you know, when they're when they've got a good attitude and they make they make your life easy. And come here, football's not all playing sailing; it doesn't yeah. come easy, but it always helps when you. But but you, but you are being modest there as well, though, in the sense that it also shows that there's good coaches in Ireland too that can that can if properly supported and given the resources that can compete. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you look at our coach education programme, you know, we have a very strong coach education programme. And like this week, we have fellas coming in from Benfica on our coach ed, you know, and I think, you know, there's a great link with our, with our coach education and our international department too. And that's very important. And all our coaches, you know, are they're very knowledgeable fellas. And you mentioned the lads there, like as well as having a, a strong playing career. They got in straight into coaching after mm. after playing too, so they've they've got massive years of experience, and you know it's that link also with the players and getting the player. And the other thing, obviously Dermot working with the goalkeepers, you, you've you've Mick as as a defender, like you mm. know, and you've Colin as a midfield player, and as you know, top top class players in their day, and they're. They've, they've turned that into the into the coaching field. Yeah, know? it's funny. I mean, Colin obviously would have has had experience at Cork City in the coaching context, and the national underage leagues. We speak about them a lot here. How, how have they helped in your jobs in terms of sort of going to watch players? And I mean, it's given experience to young coaches as well too, at a certain level. Yeah. But even just to you want to, I assume at the start of a week, you know, or month, you plot where I want to go, who I want to see. Yeah. Has the national <coughs> underage leagues sort of very much helped you in this regard? It's it's definitely made it a lot easier when the group of players come in you know you're not bogged down on one particular function of the game that they all take on board the information quite quickly because the information that they're getting at their clubs is what you're looking for at international mm. level you know so again you're not starting from scratch that players that are coming in are working with really good coaches even at the underage league of Ireland standards yeah without a doubt you know it's something that I've found out over the last couple of years that that's really improved and if you go on further again you look at the senior teams in the National League all sort of being coached by young coaches, you know. You've mm. got, let's say, um, uh, Keith Long, who would be young to a degree. <laughs> is uh, <laughs> Alan Reynolds, another, yeah. uh, you know, young coach uh, to another degree. You know, Bradley, Steve, Collie O'Neill, like this, Co yeah. Collie yeah. O'Neill, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Gary Cronin in the fourth division, mm. Neil Fenn. So it's, uh, it's, it's littered with young enthusiastic coaches who have just recently done pro license or currently doing pro licenses so open-minded coaches who are it's only good for our game here it's something we've spoken to Stephen Kenny about a bit since he's gone in um into the setup that uh, I suppose that one of the challenges trying to assess the level of maybe young lads playing first team here versus lads playing development under 18 or 23 football in England now I know you know you'd have different you've, you're now you're working with a different age group now than you were before so it's like, mm -hmm. like how hard is it to assess levels when you're when you're you go and watch say Andy Lyons or Ali Regba playing first team football Aaron Bulger when he was when he was here full time versus the guy playing academy football in England in a certain type of game how do you how do you judge it yeah you know there's no doubt about it you can to get a real judgment of a player, the higher the level of the player, obviously, the, the, the better he's playing. Like, if he's producing top performances in, in first-team football, it's massive. And if you look at a lot of our senior players too, like, you know, Shane Long and 
James McLean, Seamus Coleman, you know, they really came to prominence playing first-team football in the League mm. of Ireland. And I think it's a quick learning curve. Like, you know, you go into that environment and now a lot of our teams are, are full-time in the league. And I think with a strong league, then it's only going to get stronger. But it's, I feel for under-19s, you know, the boys that are playing at senior football and playing first-team football, they're in a good place. Mm. Obviously, there's lads over in England and they're playing 23s. And that's, it's a very good level too, the 23s. Like, you know, we've a lot of players maybe not getting into the first teams in the Premier League and that on their, on their back down playing and the tempo's quick. And I think the big thing is the tempo of games and the intensity of games, like, you know, and that's, mm. that's the real test for players, like. Yeah, yeah. And today the draw for the Toulon tournament, another, he was, Jim was on about invites to be invited to the Toulon tournament yourself and Ken, Kenny's boys going over in... Um, June, I think. Yeah, June. That, that that kicks off in June, and I think the. How much of a pleasure has that been with uh, Stephen so far? Ah, uh, Stephen, it's been great. Um, I was approached to um, to go in and help him as an assistant just after Christmas, and it was a it was a no brainer for me. It's it's definitely a step up, and the lure of competitive football was was part of the reason, but as well as that, working under Stephen who. I feel has been um, a huge success in our league and what he's done. You only have to look at Dundalk when he went in. I think it was 2013 where I sort of said, "Geez, that's a that's a big project." Um, and he's getting involved in there, starting from scratch and where they were in the league and what he's what he's done with the team and it's been phenomenal. So it's it's great to get to get into the 21s now and 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 learn off him and and continue develop as a coach and, and no better person uh, than Stephen. Would you have known him before? I mean, obviously, I know he would have been Derry manager when Stuart Byrne was on the pitch screaming about yeah. Stephen Kenny after yeah. the league was won that time. But would you have had interactions with him, I guess? I, I did have interactions. I, I met him at a couple of functions, but but nothing serious. And, you know, when he was doing exceptionally well, I'd, I'd send him a text because I thought it was the right thing to do because, again, he's he was there representing our league and what have you. But uh, when I did bump into him at Dundalk, um, quite a few times trained in Abbottstown and I bumped into him and, and you know he was very quick to be asking questions about the under 18s about our results we were getting certain players and the passion that came off him in, in those conversations for me was uh, a testament to what he what he brings to football in this country you mm. know always interested in the younger players and seeing him now with close hand work I, I see how he's been a success and, and why he's his success because uh, he's passionate and his knowledge of the game is uh, second to none. So I'm just thrilled to be there, to be working alongside Steve and Keith Andrews, mm. uh, Dan and, and, and the rest of the, the, the team that he's put together behind the team. And are you all singing from the same hymn sheet in terms of a style of football um because obviously that's something that Rude would have spoken about, I guess, because if you're just if it's disjointed from level to level, what's the point? Yeah, we'll, like we'll all encourage your teams to play football, but there's not much point in me sitting here painting a romantic picture either. If Romania are pressing the life out of us after the first 10 or 15 minutes and we're going to play into their hands, sometimes you have to play over the press, you know, and I think it's a case of adapting to the opponents that you're playing against too. And uh, But we will encourage your players to play, and the players are, are technically efficient to go and play and have the courage to want to go and get on the ball. So, come here, absolutely. When you, when you say that as well, you've, so, you've such different characters in that team. You've League of Ireland lads, you've lads in England, you've lads of mixed race, you've old-fashioned Irish, we'll say. It must be fascinating to see how they all kind of gel together. The ball speaks all languages. Yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt about it. And come here, as I say, a lot of the boys would have come through, you know, 15, 16, 17s, and there's some some of the lads are actually it's their third year in a row to qualify for European finals, haven't been there twice with seven. Incredible 17s. going. Like. So that's there's not many players in Europe of that to say, yeah. like you know that they'd be going to the third third finals in a row, like you know, and that's testament to. The young fellas like. but the nineteen the nineteens is a real breakthrough though, wasn't it? Because it's again for people who might have been following the underage scene that the fact that it's eight teams in the under nineteens, I mean it's seventeen to sixteen, which is still a big achievement to qualify. Yeah. But the eighteens there's something about crossing that barrier, isn't there, in terms of the achievement? Yeah, it's it's been so close, like you know, and I know from Sean McCaffrey's time and Paul Doolan's time and you know, Jim worked with the nineteens too and you know, over the years so so close, maybe last game, maybe 
qualified and another result is went you know went against mm. you and that's that's the way it goes like you know but it is difficult but actually the seventeens the last two years topped the group in, yeah. in the elite phase two like so they know, would have qualified so they would have qualified in an eighteen tournament but yeah. it is very very difficult there's no doubt about it's it yeah. it's true as well Dan I think that as a League of Ireland fan you're kind of proud pro- there's a lot of pride there that so many ex League of Ireland uh, players are now coaches and so many League of Ireland players are in the underage squads now that you look at the buzz behind Stephen Kenny team that. League of Ireland I fans don't feel as kind of disjointed from the national setup as they used it. Yeah, it is, it is funny, like the extent to which like, it's now just becoming natural. It's becoming a thing that League of Ireland players are around squads, whereas it seems to be more of a, de- a big, bigger deal back in the day. I'm trying to think. Like, I remember going to watch Mick O'Byrne play for the Ireland on 21s back in Drada back in the day. Yeah. And I, I can almost, if I thought about it now, I can nearly remember the lads who were in underage squads from League of Ireland clubs where I think people there were now, so few because there were so few you know if I thought about it like more will, more will spring to mind and obviously you had the when you had the Malaysian Marvels and they were here you know when you had the, the boys at Pats with Morgan and Malloy and Hawkins and I remember there was a bit of buzz around buzz around that and that team and Desi Baker and so on um, but now it's just we're just sort of becoming I think it's a good thing that it's not a big deal anymore. It just should be the norm. It yeah, should be the norm as, that you, you call Stephen English Kenny players, says, you call Irish yeah. players. You yes, know, it's Stephen Kenny has said it that he's not picking League of Ireland players. No, it's you not know, he's picking the best players. And exactly. if, if eight of them so happen to play in the league, so be it. I think there comes a point where we nearly need to stop going on about yeah. it as a. Yeah. It becomes like a PR. Kind of like, like women Because then that leaves yourself open to be accusations mm-hmm. of it being a PR thing, and maybe at times in the past. These factors might have been at play, but just, and and like and, and even as a, as a, I think it's a media thing as well. So the squads in announced, and it's like there's four League of Ireland players in the under twenty one squad. I think it gets to the point where it's like, no, it's not that. It's just here is the under twenty one squad, and here are the players that are in it. And okay, maybe if there's two UCD players in it, that's more interesting because they're students in their background, but. Having a, a lad from Dundalk or Cork in a squad anymore? No, it's not anymore. We just have to figure out what to do about the fixtures, though, in a league of Ireland. It's not, just, just it's not your problem, but that's yeah. a yeah. that's that's a you know with Toulon with the 19s in yeah. the summer in Armenia for a couple of weeks or whatever. You know, th- this is a this is a now because it's becoming so normal. Mm. Um, it's it's a it's a discussion. What, know, what, what changes would you like in the in League of Ireland that could kind of help in terms of where the game is going, or we can always improve. Yeah, I think we've now got um, so many, you know, obviously there's a lot of League of Ireland players now coaching in the league. We have a lot of very good young coaches. Not only is, is our underage structure now in the League of Ireland a great opportunity for our players, it's a great opportunity for our coaches. Like you've 13, and I would 15, love, 17, 19, yeah. they all need two or three coaches. Yes. At 20 clubs. I, I would love to see some way, shape or form or funding coming in, or the league getting bigger, that we can start to, you know, pair underage coaches and have them spend more hours with their players uh, instead of our players you know having to go to England so young like you know and it, actually some players it suits them to go like you know when it's great and, and and they flourish and other players it doesn't we've now got an opportunity to develop our own players in our own country uh, we've got very good coaches we've got League of Ireland clubs they're putting a massive effort together uh, and I just I feel we're going to have a very, very strong league. I feel we're going to have really, really good players. There's going to be a really good product there. And it's, it's starting to bear fruit already. But um, I just I think with the quality of our players, the quality of coaching they're getting, uh, I, I feel we're going to have a strong league. And if you look at the Premier League, and, and it's, it's a drip-down effect, your Premier League is a global league. You know, and everybody says, ah, oh, you've nobody playing with Man United. Like, it's a global league. Your championship is nearly a new Premier League. And I think that, that sort of drip down as such is going to make our league even stronger. Mm. Is there and is there a difference, Jim, or even Tom, with the under-19s, but particularly Jim maybe going from 21s, going from 18s to 21s, that say, I'm thinking a lot of lads under-18 level, 17, 18, they mightn't have had a huge amount of disappointment in their life at that stage in terms of they might be at the stage where they're on the way up, whereas sometimes at 21 level, you'd have lads have been released by clubs already and come back home. I think Stephen made the point recently there's no attackers and wingers in the 98-99 group in England. So you have someone like uh, Zach Elbazetti at Waterford yeah. come, who's come back. Um, yeah. And I could probably think of Aaron Drynan and other examples if I thought about it. Um, do you see a difference in their mindset or do you have to watch their mood? They've had a bit of disappointment compared to maybe the 17-year-olds who are they're on the cusp, they're on the way up, they're going across. Yeah, well, that's really down to character too. And it's about those players learning from their disappointments. You know, that they can't get too bogged down that, you know, I had an opportunity of a full-time career in England. That didn't happen. But if you look at Zach, Zach's at Waterford, 
football club now. He's playing full-time football. And I think he's in a good place with his football. And now he's starting to turn heads. Um, and and you never know what might happen at the mm. end of the year. You know, Would he get another move or what have you? Aaron, at the minute, he's on loan from Ipswich Town. And you know, over the last couple of weeks, he scored a couple of goals. So now this could be a huge help to him in his development. And it's it's very important for players to not get disappointed or, or what have you, that they've got to keep working at their game and being called up into the 21s, you know, again, it's it's a reward for what they've been doing in our National League at the minute. I mean, Tom, as well, you're, like, how much do you have to be sensitive to what what's going on with a player at the club? Because you might suddenly have lads who are worried about being released or worried about whatever's going on in their, their club lives and then they come in and they always say you want to try and park it when you're coming international duty. But do you also, because they're still in a development yeah. Ladder to a degree, like how much do you have to monitor the balance there? Yeah, it's it's very important. You know, when the players come in, we would have individual meetings with 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 all the players. You know, and just a general chat to see where they are in their career, how things are going. Like you know, um, and you would get a sense of it, and you and you would always hear maybe if a player is not getting a contract, and you know, you give them a ring, see how it's going, you know, how you can help them out, and. Um, you have to be so supportive of the players and, and you're right Daniel you've got to be sensitive you know with, with certain players too because it's a very fragile game and uh, they put so much into it and it can be soul destroying but it's a matter of you know when it comes into the international it can be just it opens a whole new door for them and that can be the opportunity maybe of getting a contract somewhere else or you know moving on in the game if, yeah. you, if you perform at international level it really opens doors for them yeah, we're not finished with the lads just quite yet, Dan, but there are some cracking fixtures at the weekend. Cork and Rovers is live on the box, and um, I, was, I was just talking to uh, a mate of mine about this game. I, you'd, I'd imagine Rovers will probably even be favourites down in Cork. They're going to bring a big support down there. Uh, Cork just not scoring goals. Not, just don't look like a team full of confidence. But it's going to be an intriguing game, isn't it? Yeah, look, uh, Rovers are coming into a tough run now. Like the, we touched on this, I think last week that and they've had know, a soft. Run. They're, they're in a great. Well, they haven't had a soft run. They've played harps, harps, like on UCD. They've had a run, they've had a run of games that they should they would expect mm-hmm. to win. Whereas I think their next five now is it goes Cork away, Waterford home, Derry away, and then they play Bowes and Dundalk in the space of like three days. So, I mean, if they're still topping in a very good position after these next five games, then it's a real, you know, they're in a really good place and a good position, but. This is the challenge for them. Um, I think this is the probably biggest game they've had so far this season, maybe to a degree, in the sense that they're going Bigger to... Bigger than the dock at all? Well, I just think in terms of making a statement, if they can go away from home, if they can go to Turner's Cross and, and reflect that they are now ahead of Cork in the pecking order. But I can see why, from Cork's perspective... But I don't know. I, I expected a bigger reaction from Cork last week, and you're yeah. thinking it has to be coming. And I know they they won in the A Sports Cup on Monday, and they rotated, and Tilly scored, Liam Nash scored, and I don't know. They, they, we'll, we'll see what sort of team he goes for. We're but, both um, uh, we're both Pats and the Dock lads. What have you made of it so far? Um, it looks like it definitely had two two teams have a chance, Tom. Yeah, it, like Rovers are looking very strong at the moment. I've seen Rovers playing a few times this season. I'm very impressed. The middle of the park's very strong, and. Uh, Jack Bourne's been instrumental in all the games. Like you know, he's a, he's, he's a game changer, and they, there's they've been very impressive. And especially Dundalk to be without Shields, McElhenney, and Benson, you know, so early in the season, and still it hasn't really affected them. Incredible, those those yeah. sort of things yeah. happen maybe mid to the end of the season when you're really tested. But they've been tested early doors, and the new players have come in and, and done very well. And Bows also Bows are remarkable. Like you know, they. It's great Keith for you as well because they have to use young players. Uh, it's brilliant, yeah. absolutely. Ali Regland, you know. the likes. Yeah, and the, and the confidence young players get when they're playing with first team, mm. like when they're exposed to crowds, they're playing under pressure. It's it's massive. Like it's it's a real growing phase for them in their career. Mm. And uh, no, as I say, it's 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 exciting. Derry's going I think well the, too. I think the month of April there's quite a heavy fixture list too, mm. so there'll be mm. even more opportunities for younger players to yeah. To, to yeah. get a game and Bowes obviously is probably good for both of you I'd say you know yeah. the Bowes you're always you know if you go to a Bowes game you're, the number of players that are eligible might be higher than it might be going to a Dundalk-Cork match say yeah. for example you know so um, Pat's Dundalk uh, if, if Dundalk were to win this you know w- without being pressure on Harry Kenny it is a fairly wobbly um, Drennan well, Drennan's going to be suspended which may, mm. I mean I know Shaw will probably come in um, 
and they've other attacking options, but they've probably they've probably built their plan around Drennan playing in all the games so far this season. I think so Pats will put it up to them. Don't care. I think they'll, they'll give they give. They a have response. to. They yeah. have to. I mean, as, I mean, Tom just mentioned, you know, how the dog have coped without the injuries, and I, I still think there's probably a bit more to come from them. I don't know, like as it happens with Dundalk and into this fixture run, they maybe have a slightly kinder run of games until they th- until they play sort of that Rovers match. So they they probably have a chance to to make up some ground and would view it that way and if they can probably overcome this one. So I still I still would fancy Dundalk to do it. I mean uh, I don't think Shields is going to be back. I think he's close but he's not there yet so like Sean Hoare has sort of adapted Sean Hoare is outstanding because you know the, yeah. you both know I suppose the, the position I suppose in playing in, for someone like Sean Hoare to adapt it's pretty impressive yeah. in terms of how he's managed it um, he's a very good player so for me he can adapt in many positions mm. you know and, and he's, he's he's just fit in that role sitting in front of the back four seamlessly mm. hasn't he you know so uh, I've seen him a couple of times playing there already this year and uh, he's impressed me yeah, no, Daniel Cleary did okay last week as well. He's got a chance to play now because Hoare's moved out and he's probably maybe a bit frustrated he wasn't going to, he was behind Gartland and Hoare. So the strength of the squad is, is shining through. Should, should mention Daniel Kelly as well, an unbelievable nutmeg in the second half, which I don't <laughs> think they showed a repeat of. It was one of the highlights. Well, da- Daniel Kelly is a crazy story, really. Yeah. There's someone who was playing amateur. I mean, he wouldn't yeah. have been on your ra- radar when he was eligible for your yeah, for your teams, you know, yeah. and he's been there all along, you know, and obviously yeah. it just goes to show lads, lads develop at completely different That's times. Crazy. As well, and the confidence too. Like you know, you, you just get an opportunity to go and play first team football. And the next thing, and you've, you've had a good game, you've another good game, and he's a confident you lad. To, yeah, and you, you're just saying here, I can play at this level, you know, yeah. and, mm. and it just snowballs from there. Just goes to show, like you, lads can come out as much as you have development plan and a structure or whatever it might be. There's always going to be outliers that just break yeah, like the mold. Christy Forrester, Christy yeah. Forrester as well was another one that you yeah. know a late developer and he's he didn't play eleven aside football till he was yeah. in his property till he was mid to late teens. Forrester, which is That's still an incredible thing you can't get your yeah. head around really yeah. at all. You know, UCD Waterford UC could put it up to them there. I think. Well, UCD last year beat Waterford in the cup, didn't they? And they did um, quarter final. Yeah, and I'm, I we had Paul Keegan in here at the start of the season and basically just spoke. I think at the time Waterford were playing the diamond and you see just spread it just random the entire game and they were really clever in terms of how they how they did it so I, I guess you know Alan will know now obviously they've got a bit of they've got Zach there and they've got a bit of width there this year at Waterford but some of the players that they've they've got but I mean you've, you've seen Waterford more recently than me albeit in the EA Sports Cup but I, I think usually I think usually you're going to pick up enough points to I do to it could be Usidy and Sligo battling mm. out there maybe you know. I, th- I think one of their key players Neil Ferruja did he not come off last night with uh, an injury in Talca Park which did he yeah I yeah. didn't realise that well that could be a, yeah they both put out strong teams last night which yeah. is interesting including Shells who probably were just like we need to win a Shells game Shells trying to get some momentum yeah. going because they're, they're we've got to get the boy moan in though Finn Harps and Derry you know always remember you in the Harps days <laughs> yeah. um, Johnny Dunleavy said to do you remember the time you missed a penalty against Longford in the cup it was a terrible penalty Digger yeah. Brian saved us. I remember um, that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> well, <laughs> never. I'm never let forget it. You know? This is uh, this it's a, game a special Harps, derby. That though, Harps need to kind of need to get a point anyway. They do. The yeah. Harps need it. You know, obviously, it's you know, it hasn't been the best of starts um, for for Harps and give me your derby games. Anything can happen, and you know. Derry and Harps, I'll tell you what, there'll be sparks flying on that one, there's no doubt about any, it. Any Derby memories spring to mind? Because it is a great Derby that, that probably, you know, from a Dublin perspective, people might get a sense of it, you know, might yeah. get the same coverage, but because you, you sort of straddle both sides, is any anything that springs to mind from your own memory? Yeah, well, come here, there'll be a few. Remember the, the year we won the league with Derry, we played, uh, we played Harps uh, in the Brandywell and it was snowing, there was a gale blowing and I think Sean Hargan got the winner. It was such an important goal, but the place was full. It was bouncing, like oh, you know. What a and, place to play! Yeah. Ah, it was it was great. And then obviously I moved to Harps and we played Derry in a, in a playoff. You, the, I was going to see were you involved in that game? Uh, yeah. I was, yeah. And, and Noel King was manager yes. managing us yeah. that year, and we actually played. Um, we played Bray in the semi final playoff uh, that year, and we went up to Bray and beat them convincingly and it was one of the best performances I was ever involved in with the Harps team played really well and we were going into that Derry game full of confidence because we were on fire and with a good side you had Declan Boyle Shane Bradley you had Johnny Minnock you know you boys like Johnny Kenny and mm. McHugh and you, you were saying to yourself you know we have a good chance you know and we, we drew with Derry in Bally Buffet nil-nil 
and Peter Hutton at the end of the game, I remember him limping off, he got a bad ankle injury. You were like happy days. And I'm rubbing my hands and he says, if Peter's not playing, we'll do them. Yeah. He come out in one leg the next day, you know, he's a warrior as normal, like, you know, and, uh, but it went, it went extra time. Yeah. I'll never forget, we were 1-0 down and, you know, the crowds were leaving, like, it was into injury time. McHugh buries one from the edge of the box. Yeah. And you, you see it in video again, the whole Harps fans come running back in. <laughs> McHugh jumps over the fence onto the dog track. He's like a greyhound, he's down on all fours, like, you know, and the place is going mental. And then it was a, it was a decision in the last yeah. minute, a free kick or something, and then Derry got a penalty, he was blown for a penalty and a ball into the net. And, of course, Liam Kyle's last game, he's involved in it. I remember, Noel King, on, I remember Noel King on the pitch. I remember yeah. the, the highlight footage of Noel King on yeah. the pitch and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Donald O'Brien played that game too. Like, you know, mm. when it, came here, it, was, it, was, it was a disappointing one to, to lose. But they were all, they were all those great games. Like, you know, no matter how tough the, you know, the rivalry and that, there's great respect at the back of it all, you know, for I both think as well, like, Der- Derry's away support has dwindled a fair bit, but I think they'll bring a lot of people to Valley Buffet because they're going well in fairness. A lot They've of got something going, Declan's got definitely. something going there this year. Um, playing, yeah. some, playing some lovely football as well, a lot of, a lot of good players. Sligo and Bowes down to wrap us up. Yeah, God, I think Sligo just need a result big time now. Just They're, they're in danger of just, as you said, we mentioned, they're getting... I mean, look, they still have seven points. I mean, and it is a mad time of the season to be going too mad on the analysis of league table positions because of that run of games coming up that we mentioned. But they just haven't really got any momentum going at all. Even just the... I think Liam, like, he played a few of his first teamers in the League Cup and they still lost that game too, you know? So a home match against Bowes, it's just one of these awkward ones. Bowes are a problem for teams because they're not quite full-time. So if you're a full-time club playing Bowes and, and they're a bit ahead of you, it's a problem for all yeah. those managers, even for Harry Kenny last week. That's the, yeah. that's the issue. It's like everyone knows the Bowes budget is way smaller than yours. And whether that's fair or not, <laughs> and you know, it's still a measure that it's going to be used. And like Sligo Rovers are a full-time team at home to Bowes, and at the moment, you'd be sort of fancying Bowes to go there and do pretty well. Yeah, I, I think Sligo might, might get Nick a, a point there. But Bray uh, beat Cove last weekend. Cabo beat Go United at that game um, the, the less that can be said about that pitch the better it's an absolute disgrace um, Drada United 2 Wexford 1 Limerick 2 at lone nil. Longford 2 Shells nil. comprehensive win for Longford Shells 3 defeats from 6 games um, lost again last night at lone play Drada on Friday Galway play Limerick Shelburne play Bray huge game in Talca mm. Wexford against Longford Cove Cavantili just before we finish up there's so much that we just don't have time to talk about Tom Moan being from Fermanagh which would be unusual in terms of lads who played in the League of Ireland lads who were involved in the Irish setup. Uh, Jim, you you played. You started off with Rangers. I didn't actually know that until today. You were born in America. Um, you play, yeah. you came on in that Newcastle Liverpool four three game, the second game. That's didn't, right. Couldn't remember that either. So yeah. much trouble. But I, I went w- under the radar. Yeah. What I did want to ask you was, what are your realistic prospects for the twenty ones um, in this campaign? And Tom, obviously the the big cam- the the big tournament coming up. What what are your ambition? What are your ambitions for th- this campaign anyway? Well, th- this campaign. You know, this Toulon tournament that's coming up is going to be a huge benefit to the players because we're playing against uh, countries that will be using uh, their Olympic teams, you know, and it's going to be a real test of character and and, uh, tactical nails for our players and and the coaching staff as well. So we'll be able to bring that into the European campaign and uh, that should help us um, really compete because we've got some really big games coming up against Italy, Sweden, Iceland's going to be difficult and you know football at that level there's no easy game so for me as long as we're challenging uh, towards the end of the, the, the qualifying group um, I, I see that as a success but probably more importantly is you know how many of the 21s players can go on and uh, on this conveyor belt of ours mm. and play senior football. One step down the conveyor belt. So you're going to win the tournament. I mean, you're beating Russia, <laughs> beating Romania, going through the game, winning every game. Why not? No pressure, is it? Yeah. Well. Um, it's in yeah. Armenia, isn't it? Yeah, it's in yeah. Armenia. And uh, actually, it was an interesting one. Uh, Mkhitaryan is uh, he's the ambassador for the tournament uh, from Romania, obviously. Yeah. And we met him at the airport in Moscow, and he was chatting about it, you know. And did he, he recognise you? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he remembered that game between Derry and Harps, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was watching it on track champ, yeah, and he was just saying, "Be prepared for the heat." He says it's going to be mid forties, you know. And um, wow, yeah, he says it's really, really hot out there you know in, in July I was saying to him about the Toulon tournament this is going to be hot yeah. but this is going to be obviously well, worse there's, there's a great yeah. landmark yeah. League of Ireland player moment in Armenia can you think of what it is? 
No. League of Ireland player. Oh, Fatty. Kid Fatty. Fatty, yeah, got the goal in the... Or 2010, yeah. it was. I was there, it was pretty warm, but that was September, so I'm yeah. only imagining what July yeah. is like. That's yeah. going to be very challenging for your lads. It is, yeah. Like, you know, when I met Dan Horn, uh, it was on Tuesday morning, you know, just to, you know, to run through um, our preparation, because obviously it's in, in mid-July and it's start of pre-season and that, and, you know, what we're going to, you know, have to do in June, and... What players we're going to have, you know, mm, so, so there's a yeah. lot of we're going to have a lot of homework to do prior to even the draw, and the draws on the 31st of May out in Armenia too. So we'll head out to that, and hopefully Mkhitaryan pulls a couple of <laughs> the balls <laughs> out of the hat. <laughs> to sum up, you're going there confident of of, of doing something anyway. Uh, absolutely, like you know, it, it's it's a great place to be, and we'll give it everything we have, and a great place for players to go and express themselves, and they've got to enjoy it too. Like you know, yeah. you've you've got to enjoy the game. You know, sometimes. Pressure takes over and it's pressure this mm. and pressure. Go and play football. Go and enjoy it. Give it a right. Give it a right go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks a million for coming in, lads. Cheers, uh, Dan. Enjoy the uh, Roctus. I rolled. <laughs> <laughs> but there are limits to your life.